Just wanted to uh, let you know a little bit about the Ciotti Company. So we're a brokerage of bulk wine and grapes uh, around the world. Uh, we, we have eight offices, Canada, France, Germany, South Africa, Chile, Argentina, and Australia. And, uh, and then here in San Rafael is where we're, we're based uh, uh, overall. And um, does everybody hear me okay? Okay. So um, oops, back again. So um, the, the company was started by Joe Ciotti in 1971 uh, to uh, sell bulk wine, uh, and he took over a company uh, that uh, was, was small and just starting out, but that owner passed away, and, uh, and he grew that, uh, that business uh, with a lot of bulk wines uh, and, and growing brands. Um, the, we're basically just looking at that because the slide is a little different than I had. So, um, uh, so basically, we look at ourselves as an information and knowledge company, okay? But we never really figured out how to sell information and knowledge. So we give all the information away, and we try to do the transactions uh, between companies. So uh, there's about somewhere between 2 and 4% is our commission rate uh, for putting together sales. It's paid by the supplier after the, after the transaction is completely done and paid for. Okay, so it's a very simple, open book process. Um, we also have a uh, craft beer company uh, called John Fearless, where we do the similar uh, attitude for uh, hops, malt, uh, and used barrels uh, for the craft brew industry. Um, we also have, uh, we try to show up in force because there's safety in numbers, except for me standing alone here. So uh, we have Vic Gentis is here from South Africa. He covers South Africa, the UK, Holland, and, and other areas into Europe. Um, and we have uh, John White sitting there. He's uh, my partner here in the company, uh, based in California. But we also have uh, Matt Tiedemann is in from Australia. And um, we have Dennis Trapp in from Canada. So um, if you have questions from around the world, any of us can help, okay? And there should be about eight of us roaming around today, so. So basically, what I wanted to talk about was that, you know, our feeling is it's really all bulk wine. And uh, I'm gonna have a lot of trouble with three hands here. But my prop here was just the fact that without any knowledge, really, I'm just going wild here. <laughs> I really should do Lauren's job. That much would be better. I'd have my iPad set and I'd be ready to go. So what I wanted to say is that, you know, when you, when you start out with the grapes and you go to a vineyard, okay, there's may, maybe a sign that says who the vineyard is, okay? But there's nothing that says, in most cases, this wine makes Opus One and this wine makes Charles Shaw, okay? So there's no branding in the vineyard. Same in the winery. If you walk into a winery, if nobody took you past the sign that said Mandavi, you would walk into the winery and you would see tanks and you would see barrels and it's all the same, okay? Now, you can have a winemaker that's focused on it, and you can have uh, vineyard managers that are focused on it, you can have everybody focused on it, but it doesn't really become a brand until later. So we have wineries that some of them are just bulk producers, some of them are just bulk buyers, some of them don't even buy, they just put their branded good on something that's some, been created by someone else. So it's a fairly loose and open environment. And I was talking with folks this morning at the breakfast about the dearth of brands that we have in the wine business and that we keep expanding and expanding and expanding. So it's been a benefit to many people and a thing that makes the industry thrive, actually. So a brand is simply a product manufactured under a particular name. All of these companies that you see up here, they take advantage of the bulk market in some way. Some are sellers, some are buyers, some are branders, some just package for other people. 
and, and don't have any brands themselves. So it's a fairly open environment. Private label, which there's many people that are going to speak to you today that know a lot more about private label. We really just fill the, the, the liquid for the private label. And so you look up here and you say, are these brands, are these private labels? They're both. So what I'm really up here to talk about is a little trip around the world as to what's happening in the different markets uh, in terms of grape and wine bulk supply. Okay, and this gives you a little idea. So the next 10 slides that you're going to see are all structured in the same way so it's easy to follow. We'll just go by country. We'll talk about a key highlight of the country as to what's going on right now. We'll talk about some pricing in, in the market on varietals that are um, kind of key to, the, to, the, to those countries. We'll talk about what opportunities might be available from those countries. And we'll talk about the risks that are associated with those countries. So Argentina. The key highlight here is that Argentina, after three years of being down, is open for business. Okay, now they have lots of challenges that we'll get to, but the key highlight is that they're open. Some of the pricing that you see, they're very big in, in the, and these are all export wines. Okay, so we're really not gonna focus in on a lot of the wines that are not exported. But, so generic white has come down considerably when, when the volume has gone up. Same thing with reds. And you'll see generic white and generic red in most uh, of these slides because that's a lot of what moves around the world. Okay, um, the Ciotti company moves about a half a billion liters of wine or 120 million gallons of wine between companies uh, in a given year. Um, one of the key areas here is on the Malbec is that, you know, with a, a wine that was over $2 a liter last year has come down considerably given the good harvest. Um, and concentrate, there's a small misprint on this slide, concentrate has actually slid to $1,100 uh, a metric ton. So the market is coming down and the opportunities are available um, on all varieties. So again, Argentina, very low cost producer, very good quality wines that come out of there and um, they're having a good winter. So we should anticipate another good harvest next year. Obviously, Argentina has a huge risk for inflation, uh, which is consistently going. Eduardo Canil, our, uh, our broker from down there, was supposed to be here, but I believe the peso devalued uh, so far that he wasn't able to afford his taxi cab. So. Um, and, uh, and then the, the other part is consumer confidence. Okay? In, on the domestic market, consumer confidence is a little low just because of the inflation. So it brings more opportunities for export. So if people are looking for wines at a low price, good quality, Argentina is the place to go at the moment. Chile. Uh, Chile had a very congested harvest, uh, like we've had sometimes here in California, where all varieties are coming in on top of one another. So um, you got to watch out for uh, kind of variable quality and, um, and uh, really research your taste profiles uh, very carefully. Again, you'll see the price of generic white and generic red higher than in Argentina, um, but they didn't have as big a harvest. And, uh, and they, they have a lot of contracted uh, volumes uh, on two and three year contracts around the world. So they didn't need to move their prices down too much because a lot of that wine inventory has been sold. Um, again, Cabernet, which is a, uh, a good substitute around the world, shall we say, for uh, domestic products, whether that's California or Australia. Um, so their prices have been coming down and, uh, and, and they're back in business. And we've seen prices as low as, as 50 cents a liter uh, three years ago. So it's, it's dramatically up, but 
can fall as well. And Sauvignon Blanc, another variety that's very hot, uh, you know, both uh, domestically and internationally, New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, which we'll get to, remains hot. And, uh, and uh, if people are looking for an alternative source, chili is very good quality. Um, again, the opportunity here is stable pricing. Okay, so we, we can see that this is moving in the direction that the pricing will be uh, lower and stable. The risks, you really have to research what you're getting at the moment. Because of the congested harvest, you have variable quality, some higher level and some lower level. So I would uh, caution you to taste everything, but be very um, uh, quick in your decisions if you find something that works for you. Um, the, uh, the market in the domestic market is very active as well as people try to source. There are a lot of uh, a decent amount of good sized bulk players. So they are moving around the domestic market, buying up uh, lots of wine to maintain quality and, and then re-export. Um, and they have a lot of global buyers. You know, Chile's been out of the market for a few years, which has benefited other countries like Australia. Um, but uh, Japan, Korea, Taiwan, China, and the EU are all big markets for them. They are always a net exporter, and, uh, and they're planting more vineyards as we speak, so they will continue to be a net exporter. New Zealand. You know, um, New Zealand has really done an excellent job of maintaining their price points all across the board. And whether that has to do with the cost of land, the cost of farming, the cost of labor, um, all those factors come into play. But they have done a really good job as they've expanded their acreage and expanded their harvest um, every year. They've also been able to um, maintain uh, a, quality, and B, pricing. So, uh, you know, obviously you won't see a lot of generic white or generic red coming out of here. Um, but uh, you do see that uh, Sauvignon Blanc, uh, M is for Marlborough, uh, HB is for Hawke's Bay on the, on the North Island, and uh, CO is for Central Otago. Um, so you'll be able to see that, uh, and these are obviously in U.S. dollars per liter. Everything that you've seen has uh, been uh, converted to U.S. dollars per liter as of an exchange rate of a week ago. Uh, and, uh, and Merlot from Hawke's Bay. So the warmer climate up there is producing some really nice wines, and, uh, and so we're starting to see more of those on the market. Uh, the opportunity here is that they have consistent demand. So if you're creating private labels, or you're creating brands, they, New Zealand has done an excellent job in maintaining that uh, cachet, that they are the only Sauvignon Blanc on earth, which is a little frustrating to other places around the world. But, um, but it, the consumer actually uh, goes with that and believes that it's a unique style and, uh, and a very unique um, uh, product. So that's great for them. I think the risk going forward uh, is, you know, land availability uh, for vineyards. Uh, it's not so much that they're running out of land, but as we found around the world, we really don't strain, uh, move ourselves into stressed areas or areas that might produce potentially lesser quality um, ahead of uh, the, the need. So at the moment, there's probably less vineyards being planted and, uh, and more uh, to maintain the price point and maintain the quality. Um, and so the pricing, uh, again, if anybody's looking for to try to do a New Zealand wine at, uh, you know, the $2.99 level or something, it's going to be really tough to do uh, for the foreseeable future. Um, but, you know, you have a lot of other alternatives, uh, both in Chile, in California, in South Africa. So there's, there's lots of opportunities. Australia. So the key highlight for Australia and uh, any Australians in the room will tell you that it's China, China, China. Um, they have done a great um, 
move in China, uh, with Chile being um, kind of on its heels with low harvests and lack of availability, uh, the Australian um, industry really took advantage of moving into China. And um, after having been there several times over the past year, um, as, we, as we look to expand our business into that arena, um, you find that uh, uh, the amazing amount of products and volumes going into China. Um, pricing for Australian wines, um, uh, you know, uh, are up and, and continue to be up uh, just because the lack of availability uh, due to high demand. So uh, it's moving. There's been great, uh, I think the, uh, the uh, Wine Australia put out a report uh, that just came out yesterday talking about their exports being up 51% in China and, uh, and, only, uh, and up everywhere else in the world. So, you know, uh, I think really the only market that I've seen is the U.S. that's kind of behind, uh, not behind Australia at the moment. For whatever reason that may be, um, uh, we're the only place that's not growing at significant rates. So there's an opportunity in that because I think uh, there, is, there, there is availability. We are a higher priced market um, and, and cool climate wines, which would capture a higher price, would be good for both the Australians and good for the market here. Um, the risks associated with Australia is, again, China, because if they decide to change course, move in a different direction, there's a lot of eggs in that basket over there. Um, so, and as we've seen, when the Chinese have bought uh, a lot of Burgundies over the years and a lot of Bordeaux over the years, and then they move on to another product, it's been very hard for somebody to duplicate that effort um, uh, when somebody drops out. Uh, and, um, and they are planting a lot. And they have a very, in, uh, in my next slide, I'll, I'll, I'm sorry, Australia's not planting a lot, but China's planting a lot, so they'll have their own products as well. South Africa. You know, I think the key highlight here, and, and my partner Vic will, might uh, argue with me, but, uh, but I think it's, it's the point to be ready to buy. Um, they've had very tough uh, conditions uh, with drought over the years, uh, over the past few years, and, uh, and so uh, suppliers have, have inventory, but they've kind of held back to see where the pricing actually lies across the world. Um, so it's very good to be uh, in there, tasting wines, talking, and when the wines are released for sale, uh, then be ready to buy. Um, again, very good pricing uh, across the board in both generic reds and whites. Um, Sauvignon Blanc, uh, another great varietal from down there, as well as Chenin Blanc and, uh, and Sinsot Rosé, which has been a kind of a, a good uh, uh, substitute, shall we say, for Provence Rosé uh, when, uh, when they ran short in, in volume. Uh, again, low cost, high quality, but the risks, even though they're getting rain this winter uh, and the catchments uh, seem to be uh, filling up, uh, which is very positive. A little like here in California when we had uh, a couple of years ago when the drought and we talked about well, do we limit what vineyards can use, do we limit what consumers can use. Uh, so we did that. Um, but international demand is high, so again, be ready. So over to Europe. I think one of the uh, key things to, to think about is that uh, you know, we had kind of the perfect storm of lack of uh, opportunity <laughs> or lack of, uh, of volume coming out of Europe with the 2017 harvest. But with 2018, people are feeling that the volume is going to be back and that uh, they'll be moving ahead. Um, so the Italians are looking ahead, um, both for a lot of Pinot Grigio, Prosecco, uh, red wines, Zinfandels, Nirodavolas are all, um, you know, reasonably priced, we could say, uh, against uh, other players in the market. And, uh, and we see that prices probably will fall uh, a little bit uh, if the harvest comes in. 
there has been a lot of pressure in Europe, uh, fungal pressure, disease pressure, uh, just because of rains, hailstorms, etc. But nothing that's really taking the stuffing out of the uh, volume of grapes to be crushed. Um, risks uh, are around there. They're, they are selling reds into China, uh, and, uh, and that could be a risk for other people around the world if the Chinese start to buy more of the Sangioveses and, uh, and, and Chiantis and other wines uh, from Italy, and that's a push for them. Uh, and, uh, and then trade tariffs for here in the U.S. Uh, God knows what's going to happen from Washington. We'll let that be somebody else's uh, uh, headache. But, uh, but tariffs uh, could be an issue uh, on the next countries uh, as we move ahead. France, you know, the spring weather, again, as I, as I mentioned earlier, spring weather was very variable. They did have some hailstorms in the south uh, in the volume areas, and they have had uh, rains and, and some fungal pressure. The prices have been very stable. Uh, uh, over the time, and, uh, but they really haven't had any inventory to sell up to that point. There are small pockets of, of wine and rosé uh, that people are looking for. The expansion of rosé here in, uh, in the United States has been dramatic, um, and, uh, and really the Provence style and that area is a little like the New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. Everybody's going to try to get in there and do that, but seemingly this style and from France is what's desired at the moment. Um, and they have good quality reds that uh, I don't believe that a lot of people are taking advantage of at the moment. So that should be an opportunity to look at, at those wines when creating labels. Uh, again, the risks there, mainly the trade tariffs. You know, we, we, I think from uh, a, 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 an outlook, free trade uh, for the wine business would be very good. It's done very well for Australia. It's done very well for Chile. I don't see why it wouldn't do very well for, for here. Spain, um, you know, Spain was a market that really went into hibernation uh, when the, when, last year when, when the crop was very low. Um, but the market's stabilizing. And, uh, and so we, we should see prices fall uh, as, as the uh, harvest comes on there. And, uh, and people are contracting now for the 2018 harvest. Uh, there probably will be flow back and forth from France uh, and, and Spain, uh, especially in the concentrate market as well. Um, and, uh, and as I mentioned before, with all three uh, European countries, the fungal pressure has a, a tendency to reduce the harvest. So prices may not fall as far as some might anticipate, but they will come down. So uh, California, you know, th this is the one market, I would say, around the world where, where it's actually fairly sluggish and we do have inventory. Okay, and, and why that is, um, that's a very good question. Uh, a lot of the, <laughs> we drink our own products, obviously, um, uh, imports uh, while still 33% of what we drink, um, and we export about 16% uh, of what we make. Um, it's, it's still a very sluggish market, uh, especially in the reds um, uh, that we see. So there's good supplies, ample supplies of Zinfandel uh, and um, uh, Cabernet available on the market. A lot of this may have to do with the premiumization uh, of, of the, of the uh, mix of, uh, of producers and, uh, and going higher in price. Certainly we're selling a little less volume or the growth in volume for the U.S. is not as big as it has been uh, over the years. And, uh, and I think, can I just shut this off? Now my presentation is really going to get good. Does anybody know how this goes on? Anyway. We can talk about California without that. Just improvise. Um, the, uh, the, the pricing uh, has, um, has stayed very stable 
because the question is, where's the buyer? So right now, we have a very slow market because there are no buyers. Every buyer last year is a seller today. Now, that could be, uh, as I said, premiumization is a much smaller category. So, you know, 70% of the grapes come from the Central Valley. If we're not driving high volume brands, then we're going to uh, have an oversupply coming from the Valley. So that's, uh, that's really where, where California comes from. Not coming back on? It's okay. We'll move on to China. So, <laughs> so uh, China, uh, you know, they, there we go. All right, did I miss anything? The, yeah, so since the opportunity is that we do have supply, the opportunity will be to create brands or increase the size of brands uh, here uh, grown domestically. Um, trade tariffs uh, around the world uh, seem to be the, the topic of the moment. Um, whether that's a real thing or just a negotiating point, who knows? Um, but at the moment, uh, I think it really has slowed down uh, a lot of uh, people making commitments uh, for export of uh, California wines. So therefore, we'll just have to drink more. Um, uh, the, the only thing that could, could uh, I think, besides tariffs is if we have a large harvest. And there are come some, kind of some mixed results uh, coming out from people uh, walking around vineyards is that uh, the harvest could be larger. Uh, Allied came out with a, a note that it could be 4.25 million tons. But I don't think that's to be uh, uh, too surprised. Uh, 4 million tons probably is the state of the, uh, the California harvest, uh, given the amount of acreage that we have and, uh, and what those vineyards should produce. I think uh, something to note um, when we talk about what happened last year in 2017 is that while the short European harvest might happen again, okay, it really was kind of a perfect storm of the three major countries losing a huge amount of volume. And they lost the equivalent of a California harvest. And there's no place else on earth that you were going to make up that, uh, that volume. Australia had a decent harvest, but nothing uh, bumper. California, again, had a decent harvest, but nothing bumper. Uh, Chile was down. Argentina was down. South Africa was down. New Zealand was average. So there's nothing to make up that loss. So volumes just declined. But even though prices went up, they didn't go up as high as we might anticipate. And that was because at some point, they get to the price point where it just doesn't matter. Okay? Nobody's going to sell anything, even if you drop it to the floor, because they just, their, their tanks are full. So right now in California, the, the mode is let's free up some tanks uh, because we've got another harvest coming in. So that's, that's, that's a risk. Did I miss? Ah, sorry. So I, I will just uh, touch uh, basically a little bit on China as a, um, uh, as, as a market, okay? And, and then we'll get to kind of an overall uh, view of finishing up. But, uh, you know, China has a lot of um, uh, diversity to it and things that, uh, that we're not exactly familiar with. They, they're planting a lot of vineyards, uh, but they, they will blend wines in, their own wine in, uh, and in with uh, somebody else's producers, and then it becomes Chinese wine. So they have laws that regulate that, but 5% blended Chinese wine is, can be a Chinese wine. Um, they're a little distrustful of a lot of bulk wine that comes in, in in that way, much more happy with brands or branded goods. So, uh, so we are seeing uh, people do something uh, with what's uh, basically a postage stamp size label. And it's, uh, it, it's just a little legal label for export, legal label for import. Says where it's from, says the volume, says the, uh, the, the alcohol content and the vintage. 
Okay? And so it's a very legal label to do that. And then when it gets over to China, it can be labeled as they want with Chinese labels. But being that it was bottled in country of source, it's trusted that there's no fraud or additions being made to the wine uh, by a producer in China. So, uh, so that seems to be growing. They just call it the mini label or whatever. The label peels off and they send it down a, bottling, uh, a, a labeling line. Um, it's, uh, it's a little more expensive to do that. It's not as environmentally friendly, but it is uh, more trusted. The other risk that, that everybody faces uh, for branded goods over in China is that you know, imitation is the greatest form of flattery. So when you go over there, you'll find more penfolds, pinfolds, pinefolds, or whatever they want to call it, uh, with the same uh, outlook. And, uh, and while, that, while that is troublesome for the brand owner, uh, it is the way that market works. And so it's, it's something to uh, be mindful of. So just to kind of close things up here, I just want to take a, a quick uh, shot here and look at the global supply versus global demand. So as you can see, on an average production and consumption from 13 to 17, uh, we had about 300,000 cases worth of product that was difference between supply and demand. In, in 2017, however, we saw that by dropping Europe out, we dropped down to where we were just about balanced. Obviously not balanced by country, but balanced by overall production and consumption. I think the key takeaway here is that the two circles uh, point out that these are the buying countries. These are the countries where your demand is created. Uh, China and, and the Asian countries are reported to grow and, uh, and uh, over the next five years uh, come to the same level as, uh, as the, uh, North America but North America will continue to grow and grow on the premium level. So depending upon what kind of products you're creating and who's targeting, Europe, Australia, South America uh, basically are your net exporters and Asia and North America are your net importers. So I want to thank you very much for the opportunity to talk with everybody today. Um, we do uh, produce the uh, Seati Global and California reports, uh, shameless plug. Um, they're free. Uh, we never figured out how to charge for the information. We just charge for the transaction. And uh, you can sign up uh, uh, online for it or, uh, or give any one of us a call. And in the back of the report is the uh, contact information for all the brokers um, as well as uh, the John Fearless contacts if any of you are into the microbrew area. So thank you very much. Oh. I have three minutes and eight seconds left. Is there questions? I did that good a job? Okay. Oh, wait. There we go. Hi. We, we, should, we, could, we could put that on there. There's very little inter, uh, a lot of branded goods come out of there, very little in the bulk side that, that's, that's coming out um, because those, those states up there are making their own product and, and shipping it in bottled goods uh, mainly. There, are some, there is some interest uh, for wineries here in California for taking uh, Washington and Oregon wines, but it's not a, a huge export uh, state. Okay. Hi. I just want to know, um, on what do you base those prices? Is it on contracts that you've done that have just shipped? Is it sort of just market info, or how do you how Sure, do you sure. Those, the, prices? those Those prices, and, and uh, the, what I did with, uh, so when you look in the report, you'll see a range of pricing, and I just took the average of the range of the pricing. But 
the range is created by transactions that have taken place over the last two months. Okay? So, wines that have been contracted, okay? And, 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 but for shipment within that year. Okay, so that vintage of wine uh, to be done. And uh, we, we try not to make or break a market. We're trying not to project what the market would be. We're only trying to reflect what the market's uh, going on. So, good question, thanks. David, how are you? Good, good to see you. Um, I, notice, <clears throat> I notice that um, most production years, global production is greater than consumption. And I just wondered where, where does the wine go? Um, the, you know, year after year after year, there's a surplus. Is it going to tartaric? Is it going to concentrate? Or are those numbers included in consumption? Yeah, yeah, they're go they're they're going off to concentrate or alcohol or other other industries uh, from from that if they can't if they can't get rid of it other other than that it, and and remember that your vintage is stretching across uh, from multiple vintages as well but yeah it it either gets burned or or, or made into juices or, or something else okay thanks very much. <laughs>